0: true uh, in my ministry, and I've seen plenty of families that ended in disaster that gathered for prayer every day, okay? So, let me just remind you again. Number one, I'll say this, it's far less likely that your family will implode or explode If you are faithfully, diligently teaching your children the word of God day by day. You give yourself a better chance. We'll say it that way. But we must not ever rely on our performance when it comes to our family. We must not think, I'm doing everything right. My kids are going to do well. We cannot allow ourselves to do that. Uh, We we stand on God's promises. God's promises are what we trust in and rely on. Listen, I can tell you now at this stage in my life for sure, if I were relying on my performance as a father, my children would be destroyed. Because, yes, and you might think, oh, but you've been really good as as a dad. But I don't think so. I, and I'm sure that if you really drilled in with my kids, they could tell you some things, some ways that I have uh, failed, some things that I have even taught here that I've not been consistent at at home. Not inviting you to think about that too much, all right? So, you know, just plug your ears. Forget that I even said any of that, okay? I'm just saying it for everybody else that none of us can afford to rest in our performance, we must stand on God's promise. He's made promises to us regarding our children, and because He's made those promises to us, we ought to do what He says, number one, out of gratitude for the promises that He's made to us. Right? Because He's made these promises, He's He's made these commitments to us. How can we in return not be committed to Him? And number two, because He's made these promises, understand that the way He keeps these promises is through our use of the means that He's provided for us. So, we ought not to sit back and say, if God's going to If God's going to cause my kids to turn out, then they're going to turn out. And if he's not going to, then he's not going to. So, you know, we're going to trust the Lord and just live our lives and not worry about it or think about it. That would be folly. Imagine, imagine, you know, I've given the illustration before. I was a college student and I, I I, I, I was going through kind of a... I was... I say this. I was um, experimenting with faith a little bit. Let's say it that Alright? I'm a college kid, so, you know, the, the brain is not fully formed. Um, it's not fully attached. Alright? And I'm thinking, you know, really being challenged to trust the Lord, trust the Lord, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I gotta trust the Lord here. Alright? And so, I thought, you know, my ass tank. It's getting empty, but I am not going to put gas in my tank until Friday, and it's like Wednesday. And the needle is down there, you know, um, in between E and excitement, somewhere in there, right? And I'm thinking, Lord, you know, just like that widow's crucible oil, just keep it full, just keep it full. And I'm praying that while I'm driving down the road. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, the fumes lasted a long time. Shockingly long. I ran out of gas in between work and home on the backside of a country road that was equal distance from where I worked and where I lived, which meant that I had a like a two and a half mile hike in either direction. I was in between jobs because I worked two jobs because, you know, I, um, so I'm doing that and, of course, I have to get right from one to the other. So I'm walking, you know, two and a half miles. So you don't do that very fast. And <clears throat> thinking to myself, maybe you should have built the tank. Huh? It's the same kind of folly to say, you know, got, if my kids are going to make it, that's up to God. And if they're not going to make it, that's up to God. It's the same kind of folly. God gave those young lives, those hearts, to you, those eternal souls, to you. You know every child you bring into the world is a soul that will never die. will spend eternity in heaven or in hell. There's not like an in-between place for them. And God has made us an abundance of promises. Exceeding great and precious. But God has also provided us with means. Provided us with means. Things that God has given us so that we can raise our children up for the Lord. And if we neglect those means, it's no different than if you neglected to pay your bills. I mean, yes, God will provide all your needs, supply all your needs according to his riches, but you do have to pay your bills. You can't not pay them and expect, you know, to stay in your house, to stay, you know, keep your electricity on, uh, keep your car, and so on. So, we believe God's promises, and since we believe his promises, We follow God's instructions for our kids, believing that this is what God will use to accomplish His purpose. Put another way, I believe this that my kids belong to the Lord. I'm pointing out two of them, because I only got two here tonight. Two of them, but I've got five. They all belong to the Lord. He entrusted me with. Teaching them, and training them, and raising them up. So I, as a parent, have a duty to raise God's kids God's way. Alright? So let me say it this way. That my kids, same as yours, are children of the King of Kings. And I am his servant. Just like a great king would have a servant to care for his kids. There would be a servant to help them with their rooms. And help them get dressed and serve them dinner. And there would be a slave, in fact, that would tutor them. Would teach them. Even so, I am a slave to the Lord who has been entrusted with the education of these children. God gave these children to me. He says in Malachi 2, verse 15, that he might seek a godly seed. That was his purpose in giving them. I must raise them then the way the king wants his children to be raised. In Deuteronomy 6, we see the way God wants children to be raised. And so I want to discuss our duty to lead our family in worship. And then I want to give a few pointers about how to do this effectively. Let's begin with the duty. Parents, you're commanded to teach God's word diligently to your children. That's what our text is saying. The instruction, in fact, begins with the command. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God is one Lord. Do you notice the instruction in that? The instruction is to hear. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. Hear this. So God begins this instruction by inserting His Lordship over you. Hear, O Israel. Listen to what I say. Because I am God. And though he doesn't say it this way here, in another place he would say, I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none else. The Lord our God is one Lord. The only Lord. He is Lord. He commands you to hear. The command to listen is followed by the basis for all that is said here. The Lord our God is one Lord. God is God. There is none other. This first command is followed by a second, more important command. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. All that follows springs out of this, which is Jesus identified as the first and great commandment. You know, it's interesting when I hear people talk about uh, the Ten Commandments and go through the Ten Commandments. And sometimes, you know, it's it's been a popularized means of witnessing and preaching the gospel is to begin with the law of God. And I think that that's good and right. And there's a good place for that. But typically, when we start with the Ten Commandments, we don't start with the first one. Right? Thou shalt have... No other gods before me. That's what God said. Now part of the reason we don't start there is because honestly, most people that we encounter have never given a moment's thought to what God they worship. Really. Seriously. Even if they are religious, they've given next to no thought to what God they worship. They just go to church. They go through the rituals and the formalities. You know, I mean, politically speaking, there are a lot of things to commend Tucker Carlson. All right. But how many of you saw just the other day, a few weeks ago, that he did this whole thing where he said for the first time in his life, he read the Bible. First time in his life, he read the Bible. He has been an Episcopalian for his whole life. He's gone to church and gone through the rituals and so on. Never reading his Bible. That's what I mean. There are a lot of people who are religious, who go to church who consider themselves Christians, but have never given thought to what God they worship. So when the Bible says, uh, the first commandment, Thou shalt have known other gods before me. I understand when you're talking to someone for the first time, not going to that one right away. Because like I said, most people, you know, would be like, uh, you know, they, they just don't know even how to think about that. So some of the others are more practical. But nonetheless, let me say this. Of all the Ten Commandments, the one that is universally broken by sinful men is the first one. That is where, in fact, all our troubles begin, is at the first one. And Jesus said, thou shalt not just worship, not just have, but thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Right? That's the first commandment. Not just to acknowledge that he is God, but to love him as God. And that's where all of us, even, feel challenged, right? That's that's not easy. Thou shalt, he says. Thou shalt love the Lord, thy God. This is the way we love the Lord. Then, what is said here? This this is, in fact what demonstrates that we love the Lord. A third command follows that. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Right? So this commandment here that we find in Deuteronomy 6, this commandment is to be in your heart. Always there. I need to love the Lord. I must Love is what I'm doing, demonstrating my love for the Lord or love for self. <clears throat> this is another key to what follows. When these words are not in your heart, you won't follow up with the rest. Keep this in your heart and all that follows will be easy and natural. Why? Well, because if you love the Lord with all your heart, and if you keep this command close to your heart, you will naturally want to pass this on to your own children. It's like anything that, if you love your children, anything good you want to pass on to your children. Now, it's interesting here, the word teach in verse 4, not verse 4, I'm sorry, Uh, verse uh, 7, the word teach literally means to wet or sharpen. Wet, not like with a hose, okay? But wet, W-H-E-T, wet, like you would with a knife. You wet the blade, all right? To sharpen it. It literally means, teaching them means that you are to wet them, sharpen them. So these commandments are to be wet or sharpened to our children, okay? Okay? And we can safely say that when these commandments are wet or sharpened to our children, that our children will then be wet or sharpened by the commandments when they're effectively taught. And then the Bible expands on this. God isn't using hyperbole here. When God says teach them diligently, this is what he means. All right? He doesn't mean half-heartedly. He doesn't mean occasionally. He doesn't mean, you know, let's real quick pause the movie. All right? That's not what he means. He means diligently. That's what he means. That you are to work hard at teaching the Word to your children. <clears throat> A fifth command adds to the fourth. Thou shalt talk of them. Notice verse 7. Thou shalt talk of them. When thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down. And when thou risest up. This is in other words. All the time. We're to be talking. Of the word of God. Now the sixth command on the list, verse 8, was taken literally by the Jews and eventually became part of an elaborate and pharisaical display. If you could Israel, you can still see it. They have their phylacteries still. They have this, you know, box on their head, and it runs down and down their arm and wraps around their arm, and you know, they'll have it wrapped a lot of times. Their hands will be wrapped like that. and and all of this, an and elaborate display of obedience to what Christ is saying, or the Bible is saying here. It's interesting to me um, that it seems like the more uh, external things are, the more things like we make a show of things, the less the reality is present. And uh, that certainly is the case uh, with, I mean, so many of the things that Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for and said pronounced woe on the Pharisees for, are still present and evident, especially in Jerusalem. I could not help but notice that. uh, Like the spirit of the Pharisees is alive and well um, to this day in Israel. Jesus in Matthew 23 and verse 5 said, But all their works they do to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. But the point that the Bible is making here is not that you're supposed to make an elaborate show of having this near your heart. The point is that you, the, the Bible is to be ready at hand at all times. that we are to reference it and consult it for every issue we face. We need to, when we have decisions to make, we need to be thinking. Does the Bible deal with this directly? Is there something that I should apply from Scripture to this situation? We ought to be thinking that all the time. And measuring what we do by Scripture and ordering what we do around the Word of God. This should be characteristic in our homes. And then in the ninth verse, we have a seventh command. to Post them on your house and on your gates. In other words, parents, fathers in particular, you are to, in every way, communicate very plainly, very clearly, very evidently, that the Word of God is central to the life of your home. That is to be on display at all times. Now, this teaching is not limited to family devotions. You might be listening to me and saying, okay, you've gone through all these commands. I don't see family devotions in there. And you're right. Because, And I don't want you to think that the sum of what this is teaching you is all fulfilled if you just have family devotions, because it is not. But family devotions certainly are a part of what the Bible is talking about. You also are commanded to bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. So let me say this. Let me say it to you this way. That these things, Deuteronomy 6, Ephesians 6, you cannot and will not fulfill if you neglect family devotions. Okay? That's what I'm going to say to you here. That you you can say, well... We talk about the Bible all the time. And we apply the Bible to our kids. And we show our kids when we're making decisions what Bible principles are guiding us in our decisions. And we have scripture verses posted around our house. But if you say, if you are not having family devotions, if you're neglecting that, how can you say... That I am teaching diligently. Teaching my children diligently. How can you say that? I say that you can't say it. there If you're neglecting that. A family might decide that well, we'll hang verses around our house. And we'll talk about God and his word. And maybe we'll listen to scripture on the way to school or something. And this should be sufficient. A daily time set aside for family worship is unnecessary or redundant. If you were to do this, though, you would not be fulfilling the command of the passage because the middle command here, the central command, is that you should teach them diligently to your children. Casual conversations about Scripture should not be confused with diligent teaching. They're not the same thing. Now, I'll say this. We, in our family, I'm going to talk about how, what our family does, because it's not actually, I don't want you to think that it's really intense, like we're having, you know, seminaries, classes at night before bed, all right, just to help them, you know, like grease the skids and they fall asleep faster. (laughs) That's not what we're doing. We're, We're actually, I'd say, fairly casual with it. The diligence is in the consistency and the persistence of it, and the kinds of things that we're doing and talking about. There are plenty of times where we always, always pray together before the kids go to bed. I mean, I say always, always. It's probably a handful of times that we miss. But for the most part, that's a, that's the custom in our home. Sometimes it's late the kids are going to be up early, early the next morning. We'll pray on the way home uh, from church. All right, When we're in church, you know, I, I don't think you have to do devotions after church. You know, you've just heard the Word of God preached. You can talk about that some on the way home or something like that. We pray together as a family, all right? But on Monday night and Tuesday night and Thursday night and Friday night and Saturday night, we're gathering for family, family worship, family devotions. All right? Because I want them, I want to be teaching my children... Diligently. <clears throat> responsibility for this. Belongs primarily to fathers. Ephesians 6.4 gives the, the. Responsibility to the fathers. And ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath. But bring them up. in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers you're the head of the home. So you're responsible to be sure. That this is happening. But that doesn't mean you know for myself. I haven't been home every night. To be able to do that. Sometimes I have you know, long, contentious meetings, and, you know, we're out there slugging it out um, in the upper room, and uh, screaming at each other and spitting and all of that, wrestling on the floor, and uh, my kids need to go to bed. You know, it's 11 o'clock, we're burning midnight oil. They've been waiting for me. So, you know, my wife will do devotion for them. And there's not a problem with that. But I have commissioned her to do that. She does that because I've set the stage for her to do that. I've had my older kids teach family devotions from time to time. I think that's a good thing. I didn't do it a lot. Maybe I should have done more. But it's a good thing. Now, mothers, you do play a, an important supporting role in this. Mothers keep it going. When if your husband lets it go, you keep it going. Uh, if he won't do it, if he refuses... Find a way to do it. Ask him, can I do it? Can I spend time with the kids in the world? Or ask him, would you do this? Encourage him. Ask him, you know, remind him to do it. But fathers, if you neglect this area, I believe you're sinning against your children. If you're neglecting this, your children certainly... You know, that's the risk, I guess, the danger when I'm teaching you what I believe ought to be happening in your homes if you're not doing it in your home and your kids are hearing me and you're thinking, oh man, now, what am I supposed to do now? Well, you could always go home and start family devotions, right? I mean, that would be one option among several, I suppose. I don't say these things to cause conflict in your home. But I do, as a pastor, have a responsibility to shepherd you and to uh, instruct you as to your home and family. You know, it's the same thing. I preach on any other sin, right? I always run the risk that somebody in the congregation is guilty of that sin, right? Is participating in it while I'm preaching or has just or is about to. All right, I'm up here preaching about gossip right before the service. You had somebody over in the corner, and you're telling them, you know, under your breath, telling them the, the bad news, right? The prayer requests, right? Right. I went up to their house, and they were bad. They were shouting stuff at each other. All right, and then I get up and preach on gossip. All right. Good thing you called it a prayer request. You're saved, or, you know, I preach on it and all during the service, you you want to tell somebody about it and there's a, well, there are probably other ways to tell, right? Now look, it's the risk we run. We have a duty to preach the whole counsel of God concerning all things. And that means sometimes your toes might get stepped on. Now, you know, it's not, for me, it's not like a little Italy festival a contest. You just put all your toes out, line them up, and we'll just go down, run down the uh, row, and stomp on all the toes. All right, That's, It's not a game, and it's not an um, entertainment, um, but it is a necessity with this. So, the right thing to do would be respond in humility. Confess your fault, in this and take steps to correct it. And fathers, you know, it's it's not the end of the world if your kids discover that you've been in sin in something. In fact, it's good for them. I've hated it when I have sinned in front of my kids and I've had to go to them and say, Man, I did that, that was sin. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I hate doing that and I love doing that. And I love it because I love to show them that I am under the Lordship of Christ the same as you. And I'm responsible for Him, for what I do, the same as you. So it's not that I sin so that, hey, now we can gather and I can apologize. But it is that we say, when we mess up, this was wrong on my part. I sinned. As much as I, well, you know, if you as a father are neglecting this area, you you need to repent. You need to institute family devotions. I've known fathers to go home from a sermon like this one and tell their children, from now on we're having family devotions. And the kids rolled their eyes and held out until dad quit. you know, I I probably shouldn't do this, but. My dad, you know, my dad was saved when he went into the army, right? And he was not raised in a Christian home, nothing like a Christian home. And so it was all new to him. And he, you know, he would hear preaching on family devotions, and he would say, we've got to do this. And we'd do it for a couple weeks. And when I got to be a teenager, this had happened several times, and we got to be a teenager, and I would just let my displeasure be Now, I think I should have gotten spanked for that, even though I was 16. I didn't. But I'm saying that sometimes the kids will do that. Dads, that should be motivation for you. You see that bad attitude out there? That should be motivation. Oh, okay, that's the way we're going to respond? Well, we're going to do more of this then, until we get things straightened out here. Please take this seriously. If you need to repent, repent. Plan how best to do it. Look at your schedule. What, what are good times for you? I, You know, I've heard pastors preach that you should always do it in the morning. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands how many of dads are out the door around 4.30 in the morning. All right? But if you leave for work at 4.30, don't do family devotions in the morning. All right? Don't do that. Don't weary yourself or your children in order to do that. Do it when it works with your schedule, okay? When are you all together? Look, this summer has been a unique one for my wife and I uh, because we had kids coming and going, and it was pretty hard to figure out their schedules. But we would look at the schedule and figure out when we would all be together and try to make sure that we were taking care of the kids. That we were having adequate time together as a family and time in the Word as well. Do that, and then put the plan into practice so that it will last over the long run. All right, so here are some elements of family devotions. Number one, this should be regular. Have a time. Figure out the best time and do it at that time. Number two, it should be scriptural. According to the Bible, we are to teach our children the law of God. Deuteronomy six, not seven through nine. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. There's the commandment you're to teach to your children. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. We should teach our children the stories of the Bible. Deuteronomy 4, verse 9, Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen. The, the children of Israel were expected to rehearse the, the story before their children. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 11, verse 18, and Therefore shall you lay out these words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be as frontless between your eyes, and he shall teach them your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And we are commanded also to teach our children the praises of the Lord. Psalm 78, verse 4. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. So these are the things we're to be teaching. Scriptural teaching then would require you to be teaching the law of God, the stories of the Bible, and the praises of the Lord. Those are three areas that we should be focused on focusing on. Everyone should worship together. Nobody should skip. Alright? Now I say when my kids are older and they're out working. And all of that, they're, they're back home from college and things like that. It doesn't always work out for, for them to be with the family. But especially when all the kids are at home and together, they should be all together unless they're sick. Family devotion should be practical. Kids need application. Don't just give, I mean, teach doctrine, teach sound doctrine, but not only doctrine. Family devotion should include teaching and prayer, singing and praise. Family devotions should be interactive. I don't just pontificate to my kids. I like them to talk. I like to get them talking. I want to hear from them. So here are some practical things about family devotions. Aim for consistency. Okay? Understand. It's kind of like, you know, running. All right? If I went tomorrow and ran three miles, it's not going to do me much good. And I'll tell you why. Because I didn't run yesterday, I didn't run the day before, and I didn't run the day before that, in fact, I haven't run in a while, alright? So, to all of a sudden go, and first time out, we're going to run three miles, you know, I'm more likely to kill myself than I am to help myself, alright? But anyone who knows anything about conditioning knows that the there's a value, a benefit to the daily habit of it. If you work out for 30 minutes every day, that's worth far more than two and a half hours once a week. Alright? And the same thing, there is a cumulative effect when you teach your children day after day after day. Now I'll tell you, our family devotions are not long. I know that I've heard of plenty of families that are. I'm, I'm not against you, if you are. We don't do a long family devotion. Maybe know, 15, 20 minutes, probably on a typical night. is about it. All right? We, we're not, I'm not trying to like, have a church service or something. Okay? <clears throat> Chip away. You know, like an artist sculpting a, a stone. Chip away at it. Now, we don't want to become slaves to our routines, but routine does become a wonderful servant to us. And for us, family devotions just work so much better at night before we go to bed. We're all going to go to bed. We kind of know when it's going to be uh, or a general time. And we have done family devotions, I would say, within an hour window since the kids were newborn, really. Really? Just done it week after week after week after week day after day. Really, have a regular time. Again, based on your schedule and your family. <laughs> Aim for practicality. Don't you know, hit your kids where they're at. Make sure you find application in what you teach. They need to see the point. Huh? All right, be driving that home. Give the whole counsel of God concerning all things. So. So, you should teach a variety of things to your children doctrine, practice, standards, all those kinds of things. Teach it all to them. Aim for delight. Aim for delight. Teach your children, your family, to delight themselves in the Word of God. If you delight in it yourself, they will find it easy to delight in it as well. Don't make it drudgery. No, your kids aren't in trouble. Don't think that, like, every night is the rebuke session. If you do that, you know, eventually they're going to hate it. Okay? Even if they turn out right, they'll still hate it. Don't make it a punishment. Remember what Christ said. If you would be master of all, learn to be servant of all. Family devotions are a way you serve the needs of your family. Family devotion should aim to reach the weakest of the family, but it should also feed the strongest in the family. Family devotion should be timely. Look, don't take all night to wax the eloquent, okay? You've got that eloquent part in your garage, you back it out and you wax it every night. Um, Don't do that, all right? Not really. Remember, again, the value of quick hits. Quick hits, okay? Rome wasn't built in the day. You aren't holding revival meetings in your living room. You're going to be back at it tomorrow night. And the night after that, and you've got, you know, 18 years. Think of the cumulative effect of what I say. We don't do ours. And I'm not telling you that you can't or shouldn't. That's just how we do it. Wednesday night, Sunday night, we don't do it. Okay? We pray together. That's all. Okay? So five nights a week for 18 years. You want to up on that and tell me that's 52 weeks a year? That's like 260 times per year times 18. That's a lot of times that we've sat together, read the Bible, read something related to the Bible. Family devotion should be thorough. Cover a variety of topics in a variety of ways. Teach your books of the Bible. Uh, read biographies, practical books. Teach standards, doctrines, etc. If you can, you know, it's not a bad thing. You can take notes during the sermon on Sunday and review that during the week. That's if, if you want something to do, do that. Include a variety of activities. By the way, you could say, okay, we know kind of where a pastor's going to go next week. Um, not entirely, but, you know, we kind of have an idea of what's coming up next since we've preached two books of the Bible. Um, You're going to be reading that, looking at it. Include a variety of activities, hymns, thanksgiving, teaching, reading, prayer, we read the missionary biography for missions conference. I, I don't always finish them. This one, C.T. Stud, was driving me crazy, so I finally just said I don't want to read this anymore. Um, on that, when the kids were young, we read through a Bible story book. We, we did a bunch of different Bible story books with kids. We've taught through. I mean, this might sound funny to you, but one year for Christmas vacation, we we taught through Jane Austen's. Um, Pride and Prejudice. There were a number of things I wanted to teach my kids. I had a good Christian study guide for it, and I thought that would be a fun way to spend Christmas, and uh, it gave me a lot of things to talk about when it came to marriage and pursuing marriage, and my kids were of an age where they were beginning to take an interest in such things. You know, I, I don't, I'm not real rigid when it comes to that. I know you're thinking, like, that's the king of rigid up there. That's what I've been told. But, you know, it really is. not We in our family have one night a week dedicated to praise and thanksgiving. And uh, we have a rotation. I keep track in my calendar on my phone on the rotation, but uh, we do one. One week, we just thank the Lord for everything that happened that week when we rehearse it. One week, we give thanks for an attribute of God. We just praise God um, for something We talk about the attributes of God. One week we praise God for members of the church. And uh, we go through and we try to pick someone we haven't picked before and try to make our way through the whole church. With that, and then one night a week, the hardest one of all, we give thanks for each other. And uh, I use a little wheel spinner and I assign everybody... I spin the wheel, and we, then we give thanks for each other. It's really good. Like for Mitchell to give thanks for Laura. So good. So good. I don't have recordings of things that you thank the Lord for. I will tell you, though, that the kids all like to get mom. That's the one they really like to get. And when they get mom, they always thank the Lord for one thing. Mom, thank you for the way she cooks for us. It's always the gratitude on that. Um, but we do that we do on Saturdays we do a hymn story we try to make Saturdays a little different and fun Uh, we sing that hymn together Um, sometimes on vacation we'll work through a book of the Bible like Philippians or something like that Uh, right now we're reading through Thomas Brooks uh, precious remedies against Satan's devices um, which is a treasure treasure of good things Um, We've taught through A.W. Tozer books. <coughs> Don't be afraid to experiment. Give your kids, just give them all kinds of stuff. Now besides the important teaching that you do, family devotions is also an important training time. And I, some of this comes from when my kids were little. Um, we taught all of our kids how to sit in church in family devotions when they were one and two. And would sit them on the floor. And during family devotions, they were not to move. All right. And sometimes my wife would sit behind them with a little um, spoon and she when they were messing around, kind of like the old uh, deacons in the old colonial churches, you know. And uh, by the time they were three years old and out of the nursery, they were trained to sit in church. It wasn't a hard transition on that. Uh, I I just, I trust that you'll renew your commitment to family devotions. And let me say this. It's a lot easier for you when you have kids to have family devotions if before you had kids you were having family devotions. If you're a young couple, um, reading the Bible together on a nightly basis, you know, my wife and I uh, do something every night. Right now we're going through a book called Basic Christianity, um, but we've gone through a variety of other things together. um, I think that that's just a healthy, healthy thing. And I think that um, husbands and wives, you know, your kids are not at home and you think, well, I don't have anyone to teach and train, but you can really get a lot of joy out of reading the Bible together or reading a book together that enriches you in your spiritual life. Let's have our mission.